Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg, and my sounding board, Connie, is going to tell us about the Wolf of Moscow today. But before that, a little birdie told me that you wanted to start a podcast using the same thing that we use, which is Zencaster. Because you want studio quality sound and HD video, automatic post-production and transcription in your web browser. And you can get that there with Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com. If you use the code GRUESOME with a capital G, you'll get 30% off your first three months. And you can start a podcast. And you should. And you should send it to us. You should. You should. Well, after the last Jacques Kroll episode, I needed to do something like a little less, you know, still traumatic. It was a lot. Like, it was but just like less. Um, once again, Meg and I are doing our tour of Europe and of sorts. So through the end of this month, I believe. And honestly, it's a trip that we're probably going to have to revisit in the future because Europe. Let me just tell you, Meg and I talked about this before we recorded. Uh, you guys do not have the frequency of murders that good old United States does, but they're like a lot. They're gross. <laughs> like yes, a lot. They're gross. Uh, I mean, in all fairness, the United States has plenty <laughs> yeah, of disgusting, monstrous creatures lurking in its shadows, but... I agree. You and do it, too, Europe. Yeah, you guys do too. And, uh, <laughs> just, don't let anyone tell you different, babe. You guys do too. You're special. <laughs> just like us. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about the wolf of Moscow, Vasily Komarov. And when searching this case, I can't remember what I was Googling. You know how like you always start like you start on Google like looking for cases. I typed in why, and I can't remember what I was where I was going because I laughed so hard. The, the first thing that came up was why are there so many serial killers in Russia, and I was like, same, like why are there so many serial killers in the United States? Someone could find that out for me. That'd be great. So that was troubling, <laughs> um, and I should preface this with saying um, I am not like in a glass or I'm not like sheltered from the world. I know what is going on. Um, I want you guys to understand we plan these cases out like weeks and weeks in advance. So I was already committed to this case before everything else in the world started going on. So don't come at me. Then just <laughs> letting you guys know. I mean, it is about a murderer in Russia, which hmm? Hmm? things we're not going to get up there. We're not going there. Just like us, you know? No, no, we don't go there. That's why people love us. <laughs> so, anyways, Kamarov, as usual, I am going to do my best to pronunciate because I really do try, but feel free to roast me like you guys love to do. You're so good I, at roasting us. Get some of these names wrong. We're I not going to be allowed into the state of Washington. Like, at <laughs> no. all. No, we're not. No. So born in 1871 to a poor family in Vitzbeck government, which is 
which was an administrative unit in the Russian Empire. I'm going to give you guys kind of a geography lesson for if you are like me and you're like, I don't really know what's going on. I don't know. Yeah, you couldn't give me a geography lesson. I would appreciate it. His given name was Vasily Ivanek Petrov. He would later change his name, which is why I refer to him as Komarov. Um, so you'll, I'm go for the sake of consistency. That's what I'm going to call him through this episode. So this area only existed until 1924 when it was transferred to the Belarusian Society Socialist Republic. It that is a federal, what well, was a federal unit of the former former USSR. That is a lot of words. It's a lot I'm of words. Keeping up with you, okay. Okay, so, and if that's wrong, again, roast me. It's <laughs> a quick little geography search for me. Anyways, um, alcoholism ran pretty like rampant in his family. It was a very big problem, and he was no exception. He was an alcoholic by the time he was 15. So... I guess that he had a pretty big family because a lot of the articles I read, like um, they they didn't mention his parents' names. They didn't mention his siblings' names, but he had at least six brothers. Oof. Six boys. Oof. Well, seven boys, counting him. It is believed that many of his family members turned to alcohol due to financial hardships and like many young men during this time, he spent four years in the Russian army. Not too much is known about his early childhood other than there were a lot of kids and the family had a drinking problem. So that's that. Say lovey. That's French. Uh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> wrong part of Europe, Meg. <laughs> After his enlistment was over, Komarov married his first wife. He tried to provide a better life for his wife and a better life for himself than what he had as a child. So he moved his family to the Far East during the Russian and Japanese War in 1904. And I am not sure if that meant he moved to like the Southeast China area or if it was just like the Far East part of Russia. Because as Meg reminded me, Russia is also by some accounts considered to be an Asian country. Like yeah, it's part there. Eastern Europe and part Eurasia. <laughs> and part Asia, yeah. Yeah. So I am not sure. It didn't specify. Um he actually made a pretty good living there and he was able to like kind of get together a small fortune. But the money didn't last long because he drank it away. So he decided the best way to make back the money that he had lost was to rob a military warehouse. That's not a good idea. Not in Russia, it's not. Not but anywhere. <laughs> but, oh, hold on, I'll say that in just a second. Okay. But he was unsuccessful, and he ended up spending a year in prison. And honestly, from everything that I have ever read about prison and prison sentences in Russia... That really wasn't too bad. I would expect a lot more from someone trying to rob a military warehouse in Russia because you always read about how harsh the prison sentences were or are. Unfortunately, 
Komarov learned that while he was in prison, his wife had died from cholera. So he's released from prison. He served one year. He settles in Riga, which is actually now Latvia. Um, as we know, the USSR as a whole underwent a lot of changes in the history as far as like structuring and countries. Um, I mean, it's still going through a lot of changes right now. But when he moves to uh, Riga, he tries his hand at love for the second time. And he marries Polish widow by the name of Sophia. Together, the couple had two children. And to friends and family, it really seemed like a pretty good, happy marriage. But if it was, we wouldn't be talking about this today, right? So it didn't take long for Komarov to return to his heavy drinking. And unfortunately, he wasn't a happy drunk like I fancy myself. He was a real douchebag when he would get drunk. He started to physically abuse his wife and children. And there are few things that bother me more than someone who drinks and gets like mean and abusive. We see it all the time in cases and it just ugh, makes me sick. Even worse when people use their drinking as an excuse to like the next day, like, oh no, I'm so sorry. I just get drunk and say shitty things sometimes. I'll never drink again. Lies. Lies. It's gross. And if you know that drinking turns you into a monster, just don't do it. But I digress. So this is about the time when World War I breaks out. And when the German troops entered the Baltic area where Komarov was living with his family, he was forced to flee. So they settled in the Russian Volga region. Um, during this time is when Russian Empire, the Russian Empire under uh, Tsar Nicholas II collapsed. And if you're not familiar with his name, he is known to a lot of people because his daughter was Grand Duchess Anastasia, which that whole story of the collapse of the monarchy, Rasputin, the legends of Anastasia, that could be a whole thing in itself. I actually fell into that rabbit hole. I hyperfixated for like two days on it because my daughter watched Anastasia and I was like, I have to know everything about the Romanovs. And now I feel like I do. Do um, you? Okay, I'll ask you after this episode. Okay. Go on. <laughs> it is it's super interesting, but that's not part of this. So the rise of the Communist Party and the collapse of the monarchy, the Red Army, the White Army, all of the Russian history that you may or may not be familiar with. Um, like I said, I can't go in too deep because that's like a this is a true crime podcast and that would be a history lesson and you guys would be at me in the inbox like we don't care about any of that maybe so, okay. for our next podcast our next podcast history our history podcast yeah i would do it i it's my favorite um so Komarov joined the red army in 1917 he actually learned how to read and write during this enlistment um he was eventually promoted to platoon commander. And it's a little crazy to me that he had served an entire enlistment prior to this and he didn't know how to read or write, but I'm assuming maybe it's like, it wasn't uncom uncommon during that period of time in the world. Like when he was first enlisted, mm -hmm. as we know, and we see it all the time in history and even the cases for the longest time, literacy was kind of a gift to the wealthy. So if you were, 
working as a young child, you didn't get the privilege of going to school, which is very unfortunate. And like we know, he didn't have that luxury growing up because his family didn't have the means. So Komarov is off fighting against the white army. Um, White army troops actually ended up capturing him, but he managed to escape. And instead of telling his like, like, you know, like higher ups, like, hey, I was captured. Sorry, I haven't been around. He was worried that commanders would think that he was a deserter. And I guess to him, that was better than them knowing that he was captured and released. Like they didn't, he didn't want them to think like he was a spy or anything like that. So he decided to just change his name and pretend that that time in his, his time in the army just never happened. And this is when he changed his name to Vasily Komarov and moved to Moscow, his family to Moscow. And honestly, this is where his story really begins. So he deserted instead of like being a POW that escaped? Yeah. Okay. Because it is not uncommon. And this is like kind of universal, um, especially like back then. If you escaped, there was always the question of, did they, are you a spy? Like, like, did they turn you? Did they turn you? And especially in a situation like this where it's like a civil war. So upon moving to Moscow, Komarov started working as a horse trader and a carriage driver. To anyone around him, it looked like he was just this nice neighbor, always had a big smile on his face. He was earning an honest living. But he couldn't quite break free of his petty crime lifestyle, and he would frequently commit small burglaries and robberies, and he liked to bootleg alcohol. 1921 brought big changes to the area, and Vladimir Lenin, the head of the Soviet Union at the time, declared the new economic policy, which opened a free market system and paved the way for capitalism. This meant that the area could have their local markets all open, free trade, you know, the whole shebang. And for whatever reason, Komarov decided that free market meant free murder because he really escalated from physically abusing his family to becoming what we're going to discuss because he really escalates. And for no reason, like there's no like sadism it's nothing like that like it's not what we would typically see in serial killers and i should add i don't want to discredit the monster that this man was behind closed doors because this wasn't your typical physical abuse when his son was eight neighbors stood in shock and horror as they realized they were witnessing him trying to hang and yes i mean literally hang with a noose his eight-year-old son his wife, Sophia, had to cut the boy down. Yikes. Yes. Yeah, so crazy. Yes. So even though some neighbors would describe him as a friendly, smiling family man, he would let that veil slip and the monster would shine through. So like I said, it's 1921. Vasily Komarov thought that with this new horse market and like he would be able to make a profit off of the people that were coming and going. A normal petty crime person would think, I'm just going to rob these people, right? The market was every Wednesday and Friday. This is very important to know. 
The end of 1921 started a manhunt that would elude police for two whole years. Vasily Komarov would go to market without his horses every Wednesday and Friday. He would wander around and he would entice buyers with the promise of horses or other horse-related items, saddles, you know, you know, all of the horse riding things that I know. <laughs> horse things, you horse know, things. horse things. When I was writing this episode, I was like, what are equestrian things? And I was like, I don't know any. I know horses and saddles. If you would have just said equestrian, we would have bought it. We'd have been I like, know. yep, horse she's things. right. Yes. You know, she's definitely a, a horseback riding connoisseur that Connie, just kidding. I, I've only been on a horse like twice and it really stressed me out. Um, so he would bring them back to his house under these false promises of equestrian related goods, but that was never his intention. He would bring them to the house, sit with them and offer them some vodka. And it wouldn't be a Russian true crime case without vodka. Chessboard killer. That's what he would do too. Looking at you. But as he was sitting there with these unsuspecting men drinking vodka and talking about the horses and whatever else he was promising, he would nonchalantly get up and walk around the room. He would hand his, what he called his client, a document to read over about the sale of whatever they were going to buy, whatever he was promising them. He had the chair sat in the center of their room. As the man was reading the document, he would sneak up behind them with a hammer that was wrapped in a tablecloth and hit them in the head until he knocked them unconscious. He would let their blood drip out into a bowl to not make a mess. He would ultimately end the lives of his victims by strangling, strangling them with a noose that he had in the room. Once his victims were dead, he would literally fold them in half and tie their arms to their legs. Um, an investigator would later say it was like a chicken that was being roasted, like a rotisserie. Yeah, Ew. that's how he, he would tie them. Uh, and then he would put them in the equivalent of like a brown potato sack, like a trash sack. Was this like a big dude? I feel like this is a lot of work. But wait. When he first started murdering these men, he said that he would look for peasants he could entice. He originally would store the corpse in his wardrobe in his barn, and then he would later move the corpse to a location on Shabalavatka Street, which this is literally the street that he lives on. That is a great street name. I'm so <laughs> sorry to like throw up the mood, but wow. Say yeah. it again. Can you say it just one more time? No, I said it right the first <laughs> you time. You did a great job. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, I, go ahead. First time, I like practice and practice. So let me recap. He's finding these men in a market close to his home. He's murdering them. When he disposes of their bodies, he's moving them to a different location on the exact same street that he lives on. So you're thinking like, Connie, how the hell did he get away with this for so long? To which I say, I don't freaking know. I don't There's know. There's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. And that's part of it. There is a high crime rate. There's a lot going on. 
bodies were literally turning up everywhere in this area for almost two years. In total, 22 bodies had been found by police. All in potato bags? All in potato sacks. The exact same way each time. And I apologize, I should say this. Due to record keeping back then and like the economic status of which the victims were coming from, um, I really couldn't find the names of the victims or their exact stories. And I dove in deep. And usually I wouldn't do a case where I couldn't find information about the victims because I really do think the biggest reason we do this podcast is to give the victims the voice. Most of the time, these murderers have big ass mouths and they give themselves a voice. So usually I wouldn't do a case like this, but it was so intriguing to me at such a high volume of bodies that were turning up and police were like, wait a second. I think there's a pattern here. Like it took so long. So what do you think? What you think they hit that at like number 12, number like 16? Like, wow, these are all turning up the same way. Well, so and then, weird. then they started realizing Wait, the bodies are only being found on Thursday and Saturday, the day after the market comes, like the day after they have this city market. Because he wasn't keeping the bodies for a long period of time. He would murder them, rob them, store their body until it was dark, and then he would move their bodies to a different location. And he wasn't going out of his way to hide the bodies that the police found, I should say. And the most respectful way that I can say this, he would just toss their bodies that were inside these potato sacks out. Just toss them out and just keep going. And he was doing this at his home with his family? Mm-hmm. That's something I want you to think about. Okay. I will think about that. Mm-hmm. He didn't do anything other than putting them in the sack to conceal what he had done. He was just like a, eh, they're... Like I said, I think due to the circumstances that were going on, like across Russia, across Moscow, like this, it was like a pretty crazy time period that he didn't think it was going to be a big deal. And I mean, for two years, it wasn't. In two years, he murdered. In two years, police found 22 bodies. 22 bodies. Like that is the span of most serial killers in like decades. Yeah. Police realized that the event was correlating, like the event that was correlating with these murders was the market. Obviously, this wasn't a coincidence, but even in 1923, police knew that they needed proof. And just because it was probable that the victims were being selected from the market goers, it wasn't solid proof. So the police started to ask around. They would just go to the markets and talk to people about what was going on, if they had seen anything suspicious there was anything that they should know that would interest them. Slowly but surely, a name kept coming up in conversation as someone who would rarely bring horses to market but would always seem to leave with customers. Vasily Komarov. He was finally on the police radar. But honestly, police were not suspecting him of murder. They were on, He was on their radar because... It kept being brought up that he was bootlegging liquor. (laughs) So the police started asking around um, the neighbors in the area about this horse breeder who never sold his horses because they thought he was good. They were, it's just a bootlegger. 
the tale of the quote really nice family guy but you know he has a mean side when he drinks he has a severe drinking problem the story started to come out about how abusive he was to his family how much his drinking problem affected the family financially and even the story about him trying to hang his son outside of their house Neighbors had reported to police that they believed Komarov was dealing in the bootleg business, bootleg booze business, and that his drinking was the source of their domestic of his domestic violence. In early March of 1923, a raiding party, which sounds super cool, a raiding party like Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, a raiding party came to Komarov's house specifically to question him about him bootlegging liquor. And this is 1923, so it wasn't like they had a search warrant. They just started looking around. They went to the stable first to check things out, thinking they were going to find all of this bootleg booze. But to their shock, horror, surprise, under a stack of hay, laid Komarov's latest victim from the night before. Bound, bent, you know, folded in half, bound, completely ready for him to dispose of the corpse that night. Can you imagine looking for booze and finding a body? Like, wait a minute. Like, this wait, is, wait, 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 wait. This wait. isn't what we were looking for. Where's the booze? They really just wanted to, like, confiscate it. Police were like, holy shit, wait a second. This is not, this is the guy we're looking for, but it's like, this wasn't what we were looking for. I just, I can't imagine. Uh, I, I can't imagine. Um, but honestly, because honestly, if you think, if the only thing you're thinking about a, sus- a suspect is that he gets drunk and beats his wife and kids, which is horrific, but Honestly, that describes a lot of men during that time period, especially if they had been through a few wars and like he had again, different times than today. So it wasn't un- entirely uncommon, but Komarov sees them from a window in his barn and or sees them in the barn from a window and he realizes, oh my God, they're going to find, they're going to find that body. So he jumps out of the window and he was actually able to escape for like almost two weeks. On foot? On foot. Did, did he jump on a horse? What happened? He just took off out the window, just ran on foot, just like when he was interrogated. So he was he was on the run for several days before being arrested in Moscow. When he was interrogated, Vasily Komarov admitted to murdering 33 men. Just keeping a tally. Mm-hmm. The only motive to his murders was that he wanted to rob them. He described murdering the men and robbing them as a quote, an awfully easy job. He did like one a month for two he, years. He admitted that it wasn't as profitable as he thought it was going to be because the men that he would target were what he described as peasants. So they didn't have a lot of money in total. Out of all of his victims, he was only able to like accumulate twenty six dollars, which I know in two years. In two years, which I understand like different time, but that's still like less than sixty cents a victim. That's not very much money. 
He ultimately admitted to burying some of his victims, which is why they were easily found. He took investigators to where they hid their remains, and police were able to recover the remains of six more victims. Six other victims, um, the final six, they their bodies were recovered because he had thrown them into the river. And now, if you're an eagle-eared listener, you'd be thinking, she just said they. Yeah, they, I did. I know she just said where they hid their remains. And you're right. Because the bombshell during all of his interrogations was the realization that investigators had had that the realization that the investigators had was that his wife, after discovering what her husband was doing in 1922, so like he had been doing it for like several months before she realized what he was doing, she became a willing accomplice to her husband. And I will stand by this. This does not make what she did okay. I will stand by I'll stand by that. She is also if this is what she did then she's disgusting, disgusting. as well. Yeah. But part of me thinks that she realized what he was doing and thought holy shit he could kill us. Like no big deal he could kill his family. And then it became a, I'm going to do anything that I, he needs me to do so keep it does, stay yeah. out of the yeah, stay out of their sign of sign of sight. Words <laughs> I read one article where it said that um, the police jumped to the conclusion of her being an accomplice just because they couldn't imagine a scenario where she wouldn't know what was going on in her home. And that is why she was inevitably charged too, which honestly also seems pretty on brand for the time period as well. So quite frankly, if there was that many bodies that she was helping dispose of, she should have been charged. Absolutely. Regardless of, I mean, yes, you may have been doing it to keep yourself, but you also could have went like, to the police. Hey, we're not, hey. we're not ride or dies. Remember, just go tell them. Go tell. Like, no. Tell on him. Tell on her. Tell on whoever. Tell on everyone. That's what about their do. kids? What were their kids helping too? No, their kids are like children, like our kids. Say. <laughs> So well, I guess that doesn't that doesn't mean much. Look, it's 1920s Russia. I don't know what's possible there. I just watched Euphoria, so I know what little kids are capable of. So, <laughs> yikes. Um, this is a story that was like sensationalized, and newspapers were reporting on it from all over the world. And it's not like right now where we have like world news at our fingertips, like. It's grapevine. Yeah. From like New York Times to Madison, Wisconsin, I was able to find newspaper articles about this case. Stories were reporting on the Wolf of Moscow. And while awaiting trial, Komarov attempted suicide three times. When he was unsuccessful, he requested a speedy trial and execution. He kept doing interviews with reporters like from his cell. And he said to reporters, I am 52. I have had a good time and I don't want to live any longer. And I was like, you're a little dick for saying that. Like, I've had a good time. You didn't have a good time. You were having financial troubles and you started murdering 33 people. That doesn't sound like you were having a good time, bro. Unless for a couple bucks. Maybe you enjoyed doing it and you're just not saying that you did. But yeah, whatever. What was the word from the joint, the Dennehy case? Moorish. It got Moorish. Yeah. There were so 
many people at the trial that they had to hold it at Moscow's Polytechnic Museum because there were like people like rioting there. On June 7th, 1923, Sophia and Vasily were convicted of 33 murders and convicted to death by a firing squad. They They don't mess around. And they wasted no time. When they were sentenced, it was ordered that their deaths would be carried out in 72 hours. Yeah. Which, honestly, I understand. Yeah. The only time I'm like, "Uh," because like now we have seen that innocent people have been executed. I know. It's just like in cases this extreme where we're absolutely 100% sure that this is who did that. I'm fine with it. Yes. Smell you later. Um. Komarov said in another interview from his cell, well, it's my turn to be put in the sack now. And I wanted to vomit when I read that. I was like, oh, you flea bag. Yeah, that's awful. But his wish to die was short-lived because they, both of them had a change of heart and they tried to rush an appeals through, but they were ultimately unsuccessful. And on June 18th, 1923, Sophia and Vasily Komarov were executed by a Moscow firing squad. Together? Which Together. At the same time? Like, they're like the first Bonnie and Clyde. Ugh. Poof, 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 poof. Disgusting. That was awful. Yeah, I just don't see how... Like, that's a lot of bodies. That's a lot of people, like... And it took it's a lot of people to show up one exact thing. You never said, is this like a big dude that he was doing? But he, it no. was just, he's getting help. He's that getting a little bit of help. Yeah. And he, I hate to say it because it's a really shitty way to say it, but he was preying on people that he was correct. Like there wasn't a lot of fuss about if they were missing. There was just like these random bodies showing up, but there were also other murderers taking place. So it's. Just kind of the nature of the... Yeah, it's chaos. chaos. But um, I I was like, that's a lot of murders. Like, that's that's a lot. 33. Unfortunately, they never got the ones that went into the river. It would be probably a lot harder to find those at that time. Oh, yeah, because it had been... I mean, I'm assuming those were his first murders where he went to like more of an effort to um, like bury where he hid their bodies. And eventually it just he did it so much that it was just like, "Eh." yeah, because he would he started um, at first he would just like carry them like places like literally near him, like within blocks of where he lived. And then he um, would ride a horse and like take them like down, like through the like around the banks of the river and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before I get into the next part of what I was going, what I'm going to say, um, if you listen to this and you thought I could probably do better, Connie is not very good at pronunciation. <laughs> she doesn't know what's going on. I'm just kidding. I hope you don't think that. But we really do think that you, as you know, like, We've been big advocates for you guys starting your own podcast. Zencaster has literally made our life so much easier. So if you want to start a podcast that is easy to use, you can record remotely. Like eventually you're gonna be able to just record from your phone. You're not even gonna have to have a mic. Just like and it'll sound professional. It'll sound yes, studio it does. quality. 
Yeah, because we have at times recorded, um, we thought we were recording from our mics and it's been like we've messed up or we've restarted something and it's been like the our webcam mic and we have really nice mics and you really can't tell a difference. <laughs> like before you used to be able to because we'd done it before. We love them so much. We wouldn't, we probably wouldn't even be here without them because it was getting pretty difficult in the beginning <laughs> to get our <laughs> shit together. So if you want to start a podcast and you want the ease of being able to have most of your editing done right from post-production, I mean, it removes long pauses, it automatically levels. So it's just, it's so simple. Um, you could start a podcast about all the gross European murderers. You should, because there's yeah. a lot of them. Do it. There's a lot of them. Um, go to Zencaster, Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com backslash pricing. Feel free to use the promo code Gruesome with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. And again, Yay! yeah. So, okay. Now, one of our listeners slash like Instagram followers had mentioned that after cases, we should do like a lighter story to end on. And I loved the idea so much. Loved it. I was like a little annoyed we hadn't thought about it before. Cause like, that's awesome. So, because you, I mean, we do, this case wasn't as like brutal, but you hear us like at the end it's of pretty like, brutal. Yeah. I mean, but like you, <laughs> you hear us at the end of like really heavy cases where we're like, woof, like we don't really yeah, know like where we to don't go after that. talk anymore. Yeah. So here goes the first of many feel good follow-ups. <clears throat> Students at West side elementary and Heedlesburg, California, Healdsburg, California, probably showed up for their community. They launched a hotline recording Pro, a hotline recording program called Pep Talk, P-E-P-T-O-C, and adorbs. I'm already, I, I love a good pun. Pep Talk is a free hotline created by the students with the help of their teachers, um, Jessica Martin and Ashra Weiss. Um, Martin told NPR, I thought you, you know, with the world being as it is, we all really needed to hear from them, their extraordinary advice and their continual joy. So students recorded messages for different situations. You can press one if you're feeling mad, frustrated, or nervous. Press two if you just need, like, encouragement or life advice. Um, for a pep talk from kindergartners, you can press three. And to hear kids laughing with delight. Like, you can call and just listen to kids What's laughing. What's the number? I'm going to call it. Uh, 707. Okay. 998 8410. Okay, hold on. Speaker phone. Hi, welcome to Pep Talk, a public art project by Westside School. Bienvenidos a Pep Talk, un proyecto creado por los estudiantes de Westside School. Para they un also mensaje have... feliz, presiona 5. Please yeah, listen to the following options for encouraging messages. If you're feeling mad, frustrated, or nervous, press 1. If you need it, words of encouragement and life advice, press two. I think press two. two. We're gonna go two. Be grateful for yourself. <laughs> Dude, live it up. <laughs> be you. I trust that you can make things right. Aww. Be happy. Try it again. Believe in yourself. 
If you're feeling up high, up high and unbalanced, think of groundhogs. Don't give up, power through. We all really like you. Never back down, never give up. Oh, okay. Well, I'm getting teary-eyed, so I'm going to stop that. I'm, like, must be emotional tonight or something, because I was like, oh, no. I feel them. I feel them in my eyeballs. Yeah, that was very cute. It's very cute and wholesome, and I really don't think there's anything, like, better than listening to kids, like, give you a pep talk. So, (laughs) Uh, that was cute. I guess I'm, like, like, as I'm, like, teary-eyed. I know. I did, too. Oh man. I think like what it is as a parent, you know that our kids are literally going to change the world. Like they're gonna change humanity. It's literally what I'm like literally over here crying. (laughs) It's together, geez. (laughs) It helps me sleep at night. Like we I think of like problems that I faced as a kid and like, you know, just Our kids don't think about it. We are raising, and I say we as like our listeners as well, and I hope you are part of this we, the royal we. We are raising our kids to be like more accepting, more caring, more kind, like less sexist, like, you know, more just Yeah, it's more of that, but also like less willing to take that same bullshit. Like Exactly. More accepting while also being willing to call people out on their- And it's ridiculousness. It's so great. I, it's literally the only thing that is keeping me like from losing my shit with everything that's going on in the world. (laughs) Knowing that I just see the wholesomeness. I see, I watch my older boys, like I watch them play with their friends and they're just like, they're just so accepting. And I don't, I think it's because I was so bullied, like growing up, like for just stupid shit. And I see like, that's, Cause like I talk to him, like I talk about bullying and like, look, I know it's still an issue. Like I know that there's not like this world of bubblegum and rainbows where no kid is having any problems. Like I know that that's not true, but I like to believe that the majority of parents are raising their kids to be kind, beautiful, accepting individuals. And I'm here for it. Unless and you're that- not, then fuck off. <laughs> not that <the> sandwich. <laughs> and that was your feel good follow up. Which now I feel good. Yeah, I do feel good. Yeah, that was really adorable. I know this is like a real. I know this was like a shorter episode, but um, I'll be honest. The other, some of the other cases, I was like researching. I was like, I can't do another one this close. Like, uh, man, I was reading the news this week, just in general, and there is a lot of really gross, like murders happening. Mm-hmm. Like, and there were a lot of kids in the news this week, and it, I mean, we talk about it a lot that we don't always. Yeah, and that's it, a lot of the ones I was coming across. Like, I was coming across a lot of cases that heavily involved children, and I was like, you know what? I'll take one on the nose for someone being like, "This wasn't as good of an episode." I just couldn't do another kid case, and honestly, like at least like not right now. And I know our listeners are feeling like that too because we. um our patrons get to vote on our bonus case every month. And one of the comments was like, I voted for this one because it didn't sound as brutal as the other one. And because I need a break. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and then someone else like was like, yep, me too. Same. So I was you. like, okay, I needed to do. I mean, it's still Same page. like in the grand scheme, 33 men who like, 
it saddens me that people were like the news were like, oh, just 33 random men. Like, like that enough. I'm like, Jesus Christ, like these people's families, they probably there is a woman who just thought her husband ran off or was just like, oh, he's going to market. Something happened. Like what a crazy time that like that's what you had to believe. Like if mm-hmm. you didn't hear from your loved one, it was just like, oh, they just ran off. Yeah, that's normal. But it happened a lot, too, like in the United States during the Great Depression, like men who felt like they couldn't provide for their families would just be like, see ya. I can't. I'm sorry. I'm going to make this worse. (laughs) I'm going to make this worse. But women did it, too. Women would be like, this is too much. And they would just drop their kids off, like, wherever. Well aware. Oh, man. Oof. Oof. But yeah, that's all I have this week. (laughs) It hasn't been like a very, I was trying to think if I have anything big to talk about, but I'm like, there's just too much bad stuff going on in the world. So I don't really know a lot of, I've tried Uh, to stay off the news and. It's my finals week. So I have nothing unless you really want to learn like about periodontology, which I don't think you do. <laughs> Mm-mm. We've yeah. talked about teeth, and that's the one thing that. Oh, my oldest daughter did lose tooth number four, though, and that was cool. I was excited. Do you keep her teeth? Yes. You're one of them, aren't you? <laughs> You're a tooth collector. I'll never. I don't know if you ever saw the YouTube video where like the woman like bakes them in the oven to make them white and like turns them into a necklace. I'm never going to be that woman, but yes, I do have uh, the four teeth that she has lost so far. And my mom also kept my teeth. Like she had them in like a little like pill bottle. Yeah. My mom kept my teeth. And as I became an adult, I was like, like, it's weird. Weird. They're just so little and cute. I know. But do you know what happens (laughs) when my kids lose their teeth? I throw it away. You throw it in the trash. Just zoop. If you plant it, a new kid will grow. <laughs> I don't want any more kids. <laughs> I'll burn it. <laughs> don't bake it. It'll just turn it more white. Yeah, that's a weird video. I got to find that to show you. And she's like Mm-mm, selling it. At, it's so strange. She's selling it as like this new kind of like DIY craft you can do. And look, it <laughs> makes a beautiful necklace when you're done. I'm like, do not wear your children's teeth as like a fashion statement. Well, like, I will say this. I, I am a like no. A, you know the Victorian like hair lockets? Well, I that's the one thing I have in the baby book. It's like taped in there. It's like their a first lock haircut. of hair. Yeah. But I think it's actually like their fifth or sixth haircut because I was always like, oh shit, I'm supposed to keep that. And then I would lose it because it's who I am. Because it's hair. The only thing that I have kept and my husband hates it, like hates it is the last time I pumped with my daughter and I have a little tiny tube of my breast milk out in the freezer, just like hanging out. I was going to make like a ring Yeah, or you should something. get turn it into like the, the resin like mm-hmm. necklace or something. Those are kind of cool. And I just kept it because like it was such a long journey and I was really proud of it. Not because I, not because of her, but because it was like me. I was like, I did this. <laughs> proud of me. <laughs> so I didn't keep it to be like, here you go, daughter. Here's the breast milk I pumped in ca- you. In case you're thirsty in a couple of years. 
<laughs> but I, I kept it thinking like she would have this rash one day that I would need to rub on it. Like all of the mommy <laughs> blogs said, but I'm, she never did. And I, so I just kept it and then I couldn't get rid of it. Cause I kind of was like, oh, this is my, I've moved three twice with that breast milk. Oh, you have? Ooh. Yeah. 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 I'd but say- not the teeth though. Although sometimes I'll put them up, like to toss them and I'll find them again. And then I'm like, oh. <laughs> this is frightening. That's a molar. <laughs> That's a molar. <laughs> Whose tooth is this? Connie texted me a picture. <laughs> Her oldest son lost one of his molars. And uh, she sent me a picture and she was like, is this a permanent tooth? You did <laughs> And they're big like they are really large i was like that's not a permanent tooth but it looks disgusting so i understand why you were alarmed mm-hmm. yeah because that was a second hand picture i got it as they were at the movies and it was he just lost this tooth we think it's a permanent tooth and i was like wait a second what like, and- what's the age where you stop like keeping track of that where you're just like i don't know how many tooth you've lost at this point let me just tell you the front 11. ones are gone yeah because i have no fucking idea <laughs> he could come to me with all of his teeth gone and i'd be like wait which ones were your permanent <laughs> teeth <laughs> which ones should i be worried about this like, i don't know. i it's my daughter, my daughter knew that I um, hated teeth so much. She just didn't grow one. So, <laughs> <laughs> waiting on that, see how that's gonna pan out. Come back in a few years. It'll be fine. It'll be I may fine. need to take up donations for a implant. <laughs> no, I, it's gonna be great. I She's just missing teeth. one of her lateral incisors, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just teether. They are the most common tooth. That's a fun fact I can tell you guys. The most commonly like malformed tooth in your mouth or not formed tooth is your lateral incisor. So the ones right now on your on your upper in your upper jaw. Fun fact. Do you go okay, not really fun fact. Do you if you're married or in relationships and you start to procreate with your spouse? Do you ever realize there are things about their family, like things that you just wish they would have told you that could have been passed down? Like, as I'm talking about my daughter, I'm like, I think she's missing this tooth. And my mother-in-law's like, oh yeah, probably I didn't have it. My brother-in-law didn't have it. And I was like, how is this not something that has been said to me? Like, look, and your mother-in-law's fine. You can't even tell. No, but she has a, like, she had to get a bridge because of it to make it all look the same. And I know what he's, like, my father-in-law spent on that. And it's like, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. So. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Um, Wow. Mm-hmm. So it's like a family thing that was passed down. Interesting. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm going to have to let her know and let her husband know one day. Like, <laughs> hey. Like, if, as they're getting ready to walk down the aisle, you can be like. Your kid's going to be missing teeth. (laughs) Good dental insurance, man. That's awesome. Well, I hope you enjoyed our... (laughs) We're like, we're going to get off here. Oh, let me tell you all about our kid's teeth. Yeah. Shout out to the lady who um, asked us to stop giggling so much. 
Yeah, we have this message, and if you're listening to us right now, and you're who sent this message, like we're this is you. We're talking it made about us you. Giggle even harder. It was like, can you stop giggling? It's very frustrating. And I was like, <sighs> <laughs> because I don't feel like we giggle during the cases. Like I'm not laughing as I'm talking about these murders that are going on. Like, like sometimes maybe it's in not, the digressions. In the digression, oh. but like not describing the murder, not discussing the victims. I am not laughing. You are not laughing. Like that's rude. And people who do that are shitty people, but we, we don't do that. Do the funny stuff afterwards or even a little before. Do the digressions. Is it a little chuckle? Yes. I but just, like, when I you sent me a picture of that one, that it killed me. I was like, that's the best. I will mm. not. Yeah, and to think I will not that, be doing that. To think to myself, I never have ever felt like my opinion was important enough to like reach out to be like, you should stop doing something that you love and the way you do it that you love because I don't like it. I should be like, I don't like this that much. I'm not going to listen to it anymore. Yeah, but like to be driving home in rush hour and be like. These They're giggling an awful lot. <laughs> and I'm frustrated. It just made my, made my giggling even more chaotic, if anything. Yeah, we laughed at you. Like, if you're listening, <laughs> we laughed. Because I have fun. Like, this is fun. Uh, I think we could probably leave it on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should... Click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which... We love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.